Okay. Well, morning, everyone. This morning, we're going to be finishing the content of chapter 25, verses 41, I'm th sorry, 31 to 46. And there are a lot of passages in the New Testament and the Old Testament which are very sobering in their content and in their meaning. And this passage is probably one of the most awesome and sobering passages that we'll come across in the New Testament. Now, we're not going to go into great detail in it, but we will notice, and as we begin, I want you to note Matthew chapter 25, I want you to note two particular verses, verse 40 and verse 45, and that's not in your notes, you just have to, I suppose, write them down, and we'll get to them. And I would like to encourage you to memorize these two verses. Because as we live our lives as believers, it is imperative that we keep these two verses in front of us at all times. Because I think there are several verses in the Bible that encourage us and warn us and explain to us the solemnity, the significance of the way we relate to one another in thought, word, and deed. And I think these two verses probably encapsulate that significance better than and more than all the other verses in the Bible, in my mind, because it pinpoints what is really happening in God's view, as we relate to one another, no matter what the reason, the circumstance that causes us to relate and respond, this is the way that God sees every action of our personhood in relation to others. This is how He sees it. And this is the evaluation that will be given on the day of judgment as to our relationships within the body of Christ. Verse 40 and verse 45. Father, again, thank you so much for your word. Father, minister to us today as you always do. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, here we have the great judgment. Now, this judgment is also specified in other verses or in other passages, rather, but we'll just deal with this one. And I said in a very general way today, we're not going to go into any detailed specifics. But Jesus says, when the Son of Man comes, all the nations will be gathered before Him. And He's going to make a great separation. And so, in verses 31 to 40, we will see that he places the sheep on his right hand. And then in verses 41 to 46, 
he deals with the goats. You remember the sheep and the goats, the wheat and the tares. You remember he's made a distinction of all people into two groups of people. And this is the culmination of that distinction. So let's talk about, first of all, the final judgment of the sheep, verses 31 and 40. And when the Son of Man comes in his glory, one more time, just to make sure we get this. The phrase, the Son of Man, as Jesus uses it, and as it is used in the New Testament, is a direct reference to what biblical prophecy in the Old Testament? Daniel chapter, somebody remember it? Daniel chapter, verses 13 and 14. Daniel chapter, somebody remember that? Where the Son of Man comes and is given dominion and glory and power, and he approaches the throne of God, and he takes his seat. Is it chapter 7, verses 13 and 14? Somebody help me to remember that. And so remember to keep your mind on that because when Jesus uses the word or the phrase son of man, he is directly connecting himself with the figure of the son of man in that particular prophecy. So when the son of man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. This judgment, first of all, is conducted by the Son of God in his role as the Son of Man who will judge the nations at his return from heaven. And so from the very beginning, in the beginning of creation, God the Father wills the creation. You remember that. It is his purpose that he would have a people after his own image. And so he wills the creation and so God the Father is the source, if you would, the divine source of the creation. And then he creates through the agency or the role of God the Son. Remember his word, and he said, and when he said, then he creates. And then the Holy Spirit in verse 3 of chapter 1 of Genesis vivifies or brings to life. Remember the Holy Spirit was hovering over the waters. And so from the beginning in Genesis 1-1, it has been the Son of God who is the Creator and who has been active throughout the Old Testament in His pre-incarnational role as Mediator Messiah. And so what we see in the New Testament with the incarnation of the Son of God, the birth of Jesus, we see coming into humanity that one who has always been active and present throughout the Old Testament. And we have to make sure we see that. Because the first time the Son of God becomes active in humanity is not when he takes on a human body and soul. This is the first time when he is, as it were, enfleshed or incarnate. He becomes one of us. He takes on the properties of humanity except for sin. But throughout the Old Testament, from the very beginning all the way through until the conception in Mary, it is the same one who has been working in the Old Testament. So we must make sure we see that. We have the pre-incarnational ministry of the Son of God 
in the Old Testament and then the incarnational ministry of the Son of God as Jesus Christ, the Messiah man, the Son of man in the New Testament. And so this is the same one who takes to himself a human body and soul. Remember in John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then further on in chapter 1, verse 10, he was in the world. He was already in the world, and he came to his own. You remember his own. It doesn't mean to Israel. He came to his own creation. He came into his own creation, and they did not receive him. But to as many as received him, to those he gave what? The authority to become the sons of God, even to those who believe on his name. And then what does verse 14 say? And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, that glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And so you see... He has come into the world for what purpose? To reconcile God's people to God through his atoning sacrifice. Romans 3.25 says propitiation. The word propitiation means atoning sacrifice. So the one who has been in the Old Testament all the time becomes a man, becomes incarnate for this purpose, to bring God's people back to God in a relational, fellowshipping way, and that is to be done only through the atoning work of the Son of God as Jesus Christ, the Son of Man, who goes to the cross and who dies on our behalf, paying God, uh, God's wrath, I'm sorry, experiencing God's wrath against all of our sins so that all of our sin may be forgiven. And then on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit is shed abroad in our hearts, because the Son has been exalted, and He sends the Holy Spirit. And now the Spirit begins to apply what the Son has appropriated through the cross according to the Father's eternal will. So all three persons of the Trinity are, are always involved in every action of God from the beginning to the end. All three persons of the Trinity are always involved. One being predominant, taking the lead role, but the other two always uh, and being a part of that. I think we see that. We've seen that already. So verse 32, again, it is the Son of God. This is the one who has, will judge the world. Verse 32, before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right hand, but the goats he will place on his left hand. <clears throat> The Son of Man calls all humanity before His throne, separating all humanity into two distinct groups, the right and the left. Now, you see, uh, 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 that, that's talked about in Ezekiel chapter 34, 17 to 19. I'm not sure if I put that reference in your notes. And so, as we will see, the distinction between the sheep and the ghost is determined on what basis? On what basis is the sheep and the goat determined. It's determined on one basis alone, by the relationship to Christ. But I want to add this, because this, I think, is where so much weakness is in the church. <clears throat> the sheep are distinguished from the goats on the basis of their relationship to Christ as evidenced in their obedience to his word. Amen. Do we see that? For a person to say, I'm a child of God, I've been born again. 
and there's no evidence or there's no thought or understanding that obedience is, may I use this word carefully with you, but may I use it strongly. Obedience is required. Amen? You see, there is a danger that the teaching of grace unrequires obedience. Grace comes to us only through the obedience of the Son of God. Obedience is the basis of God's way of bringing His grace to us, the obedience of His Son. And in fact, what does Romans 1, 5 say? The obedience of faith. Faith, obedience, and I'm jumping ahead of myself to give you something. Faith, obedience, or faith works are not antithetical words. They are of the same word. So I like to say faith slash works. And if you want to put in parentheses, obedience. Because the danger in the church is that there is a distinction between faith and works. And the Bible makes no distinction. And that's what we're trying to clarify. Because if we don't see that, we will not begin to live the life that God has saved us to live with the motivating power that God gives us unless we see that faith slash works or obedience is the issue in our life. Okay? Does everybody get that? We are determined to be sheep of God based on our relationship with Christ as evidenced or proven by our obedience or by our faith works. Now, let's make sure we keep that in mind because there are too many in the church that make a distinction between faith and works that they should not make. There are distinctions that need to be made but then there are incorrect distinctions, and we have to be clear about these things. We can never say that faith is separate from works. It's unbiblical to say that. And yet I hear it all the time. I hear it all the time. I'm saved by faith and not by works. If you don't make it clear what that means, and if you're not using the words biblically, you are wrong to say that. And so we want to make sure and try to begin to clarify some of that this morning. So verse 34, then the king will say to those on his right hand, come you blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. So you notice Jesus is called the king. Remember in Matthew 28, 18, what does the word say? What does Jesus say? Matthew 28, 18, who can quote it? All Authority has been given unto me in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go. He's the king. He's the king of glory. And so he's the one who is judging. He says, come, you who are blessed by my father. Well, how do they get blessed? First of all, why are they called blessed? What is the content? What is the source? What is the meaning of blessedness and blessing 
in the Bible. It is God himself because he is the blessed one. He is the blessed one. And everyone who is in Christ is blessed because we are in the blessed one. And because we are in the blessed one, we are being blessed by his presence and by his work. And as we are being blessed by his presence and his work in our lives, we are God's blessed people. And then the activities that flow out from that blessedness from us to others are blessed activities or blessed works. But the whole issue of blessedness has to do with God himself. Do we see that? So blessed isn't something extraneous or external to God. It is a revelation of God and of his presence and of his work in us. So that's why we're called the blessed people. That's why God is called the blessed one. He alone, he alone is blessed. And then we derive our blessedness from him. Our blessedness is derivative. You know what I mean by that? What does that mean, derivative? Comes from, is a given blessedness. His blessedness is essential, intrinsic. It is who he is in himself. And so listen to these verses. How did, how did you, it says, come you who are blessed by my father. How did they get blessed? How did we get blessed? Just listen to a few of these verses from John chapter 10. John chapter 10 is a wonderful chapter. Well, every chapter in John is. And Jesus is saying, my sheep hear my voice. How many of you, when you heard the gospel for the first time, now you have to understand, what, what do I mean by the first time? You may have heard it 88 times, but you didn't hear it. Are you with me on that? We used to sing in the Methodist church, Jesus saves, Jesus saves. Oh, um, pa-pum, pa-pum, pa-pum. Jesus saves. We didn't know what that was, but we sang it. And I used to be loud in those days. <laughs> Remember that day? Jesus saves, Jesus saves. What does it mean? I don't know, but man, I enjoyed singing it. I, I, he was saved. I didn't know it until I got saved. So the gospel is out there all the time. But we don't hear it until the Holy Spirit opens our deaf ears. And so... Jesus said, my sheep, what? Hear my voice. See, the gospel goes out to the world. And only the sheep of God hear his voice. Now, listen to this. And I know them, the sheep, and they, know, and they follow me. Do you see that? I know them. I'm not going to get through this today. I've already admitted that. I saw it yesterday. I know them. That what know is epinosis. It means know by relationship. It's the same word that has to do in the Old Testament with a husband and a wife knowing one another physically and intimately. I know them. And what's the next part of it, Susan? Susan, what is it? And they what? Follow me. They what, D? Follow. What does the word follow have to do? Obey. They walk in my works. Their deeds are my deeds. My deeds are their deeds. Do you see how intricately connected deeds and work are related 
and connected to the reality of us being God's people. Do we see that? It is, entry, uh, it is central. They know me, Hemi. I know them rather, and what? They follow me, Jessica. They follow me. I forget which one, Jessica. Celeste, you need to put name. I can't get the distinction sometimes. I forget. Long hair, short hair, you know. Forgive me. I'm sorry. I give them eternal life, and they never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my hand. You see? We are His. This is how we became blessed, because Jesus knew us from what time period? Ephesians 1, 4, from the foundation of the world. We didn't know Him until we experienced the move of the Holy Spirit upon us. But He knew you, Shane. He knew you. He knew you, Gordon. Charlie, Charles, He knew you. He knew you. Verse 35. Now, Jesus is saying, blessed are my, my Father. You're going to inherit the kingdom prepared for you before the foundation of the world. Now, the next set of verses explain the evidence or the activity that is judged or evaluated as proof that these belong to Jesus. Do you get that? The rest of the, these next set of verses will be Jesus' evaluation or proof or statement of how we know and how, if you would, he knows that we are his children. Obviously, he knows. But there is an evaluation. There is an emphasis upon deeds and work. It is not just an emphasis, I'm saved, and that's all it is, and that's all that has to be. No. So listen to this. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. Do you see the emphasis on I and me? Do you see the emphasis on these personal pronouns about Jesus? I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. You hunger, you hunger and I, I must have mis, misdone this one. And fed, how did, what did I do this? <laughs> and when did we see you hungry and feed you, or I see, or thirsty and give you drink? What do you mean? We don't remember you in jail, Jesus. We don't remember you in a sick bed, Jesus. We don't remember that. And when did we see well, I don't know what happened to all this stuff. I misdid it. And then the righteous will answer, oh, I see. I miss put the thing together saying, Lord, when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick and in prison and visit you? Here, listen to this. And the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as much as you have done it unto the, I didn't get the word, what? The lowliest. The least. What least? Who? What least? Look at next of it. Least what? Of who? Of my brethren, my brothers. You've done it unto me. Now, this isn't a word that says, 
as you have done these things to the world. And it doesn't mean that we are not to be compassionate to the world. This is not a call to world socialization or function out there. This is a statement that within the church of Jesus Christ, listen very carefully. Every thought, every word, and every deed, every attitude, everything about our lives in relation to other believers is a direct relationship of going to Jesus and having that attitude toward Him, that word about Him, that you know, function in relation to Him. Him. Now, I don't know how you are. That sobers me. That sobers me to think that if I have been impatient with another believer, if I have been critical of another believer, if I have been anything outside of godly love to another believer in my thought, word, or deed, I am doing it directly to the Lord Jesus Himself. <sighs> That's the basis of our judgment. He didn't say how well you teach Sunday school. And, and, uh, what's your name? Andy. I'm trying to say Anthony. I know it isn't. He didn't say that. He didn't say anything except how you relate. Come on in, ladies, sit down. How you relate to other believers. How you relate to other believers. How you relate to other believers. You relate to whom? Where do we get another evidence of this? And this young man who was holding the cloaks of them who stoned Stephen, remember in chapter 7 of Acts? Went from house to house arresting Christians and persecuting them. And as he had papers from the high priest, he was going to Damascus to arrest. And a light from heaven shone forth, and a voice said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Me. You know, I think it would be good. I'm not going to do it, I suppose, but if we just sat here, and, and I ask you to do this, and, and I, I, you know, this has been on me for a long time. <clears throat> Evaluate. Remember. Consider. Think about any and every believer whom you know with whom you have any issue at all, any issue at all for whatever reason at all. And I would recommend that you write that person or person's name down. I don't care what the reason is. Jesus didn't say, accept this, accept that, or if they didn't do what. Any issue at all with any believer. And put out next to Joe Blow's name that you've had difficulty with, or Sam Smith, or Jane somebody, or whatever. And write the issue. She's this, and she's done that, and he said that, and wait. 
and then say my attitude about that, my response was to Jesus himself, not to Jane, not to Joe, not to Sam, but it was to Jesus. To Jesus, Steve. To Jesus himself. Barry, to Jesus himself. Lester, to Jesus himself. Rose, to Jesus himself. Now, that should sober us. Does it sober you? And if there is anything at all that should be a motivating reason for us to be absolutely more critical, more aware, and more evaluative of the way we relate to each other, if that verse doesn't do it, you don't have a reason to be saved. Amen? Because if you don't consider Jesus important enough, I don't know whether you're saved. Well, you just don't know the, what they said about me. You don't know the way, the way he said that or she said that or whatever. I don't care. I care in one sense, but you understand I don't care. What is the issue? God says, Kenneth, God says, you're doing it to my son. Now, you have a son, don't you, Kenneth? That big guy behind you? When someone slaps the mbamba out of your son, would that bother you? Yes. You have sons? If someone degrades one of your sons and molests them, would that bother you? Does it bother God the way we relate to one another? Yes. Why? Because he considers it as relating to his own son. His own son. His own daughter. Kid, do you have children? Would you mind if somebody slurred one of your children? Or would you get up and do something about it? Come on, coach, what would you do? Yes. That's the basis of a whole lot of judgment that we're going to incur. And I hope this does something for you that it does for me, and it's this. I need to ever have that verse before me moment by moment by moment, especially when I'm in difficulty with other believers. Can you say amen? Can you say Matthew 25, 40 will be one of the most significant verses in my repertoire? And can you ask the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, would you bring this verse to my mind at every moment when I need to remember it? And when he does, don't say, yeah, but, and continue on your way. Because then you're flagrantly throwing disobedience into the face of God. Then the judgment of the goats. Then he will say to those on his left hand, now listen, this is goats, but we're in here as far as some of our activity. And he will say to the ones on the goat, uh, left, depart from me, you curse, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. 
I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me naked and you did not clothe me sick in prison and you did not visit me. And then they will also say, Lord, when did we see you hungry and thirsty and a stranger naked, sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Come on, come on. And then he will answer them, truly, truly, I say to you that if you did not do it to the least to one of these, my brethren, you did not do it to me. Are we withholding forgiveness, relationship, service, care, whatever to another believer because of the way that believer is and because of the way that has, I've been handled and what has been going on. I'm not, I'm not going to. Then to whom are you denying that good work? To whom? To Jesus himself. These are sobering words for me. Are they for you? I mean, the, the, these get to the bottom or the basis of who I am and how I function. So positively, the way we relate to one another, we relate to whom? Jesus. Negatively, the way we don't relate to one another, we don't relate to Jesus. And let me say it this way. And I hope you won't mind my saying this, but it's true. <laughs> There's some very difficult people in this church. <laughs> there are people in this church who create a lot of drama. Not only for me personally, but, you know, for others. Has anybody encountered drama from any other believer in this church? I raised my hand. Anybody? Only about three of us? That's all? Only about seven of us? Come on, come on, come on, church. All of us have, you know that. But what do we do about the drama? The drama is seen by God. The way we respond, rather, to the drama is seen by God positively that you're ministering and you're caring and you're live, forgiving and you're loving and you're serving over and over and over and over and over and over again to that person who keeps slapping you and slapping you and saying it and saying it until you get, how far do I go? You go all the way that Jesus goes, even to death on the cross, because God has gone all the way for us. Amen? And as much as we refuse, well, I'm coming into church and, 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 and I see this lady over here, right here. And, and you know, she and I have had, she's, she's had some words. So she said, I don't, you know, I've heard something about. So when I see her, what's your name again? When I see Patrice, so everybody who's listening can know who I'm talking about. Patrice Fry. When I see Patrice... Yeah, you want to get up and leave now. When I see Patrice, I see her. Todd, I see her. And, eh, you know, and so I'm going to go way over here and, and say, hey, how you doing? Good morning. Where are you at? Good. God bless you. Lovely, lovely, lovely. Oh, lovely. Jesus, praise the name, Jesus. I'm not getting near her. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Aren't you so wonderful, Lord? Thank you, God. I've just slapped the Lord in the face because every time I have said thank you and how you doing and all, I, I have been a liar because I've, I've passed by one of his children. Hmm? Say it again. I didn't hear you. Yes. 
and we do it all the time. Don't you know there's that particular person in this church that this person creates more drama and problem than anybody else? And when that person comes into the church, oh, my word, here we go. Let's go this way. Let's not say, <laughs> whom are we doing it to? Come on, church, whom? Jesus himself. This is not a word to the preachers. It's a word to all of us. It's a word to all of us. Aren't you glad you came this morning? <laughs> and because, now when, the difference between the goats and the sheep, now let's make sure we clarify this, is that the sheep belong to Jesus and the goats do not but that does not mean that there is not goat behavior in each one of us. Yes or no? Yes. So when they say you get my goat, yeah, you know, that's, oh, get it. I mean, I'm sorry about that. But there's goat behavior in each one of us. And so as you begin to live today with these two verses in the forefront of your mind, and as you go through the day and the Holy Spirit says to you, flow you did a Matthew 25, verse 45 on Alice. Sorry about that, Alice, but I saw what she did. What is flow to do? Crumble in the dust? No. Confess, you're right, Lord, you're right. Cleanse my attitude and empower me to relate to Alice in a way that I relate to the Lord Jesus. Amen? Confess it. Cleanse my attitude. You're right. And empower me to relate to Alice. It's working, Flo. You're getting it now. <laughs> Boy, Flo feels a lot better. Look at her. She's sitting up now, and she's smiling, and she's kind of, whew. And Alice is looking at Flo like, what did you do to say that? <laughs> now Alice is going to have to get a cleansing. <laughs> Right, Billy? <laughs> oh, my word. It's so important. I, I, I'm purposely not going to go beyond this today. You see where it says, a place of our works and salvation. I want to start that next week. But I want us to leave today with this. Every day we live is a day of judgment. Why? Because the Holy Spirit in us does what? He convicts of what? Sin. He is judging sin in us. What does that mean? He is calling out, Kevin, that was sin. Now, he's not condemning, but he's judging there's a difference between judging under condemnation and judging as evaluative for good works. So he's judging us. Every day is a judgment. And as we are judged moment by moment in our life as to sin, what are we to do? If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So my, who said that? 
Where was that from? Who knows that verse? Where is Susan? 1 John 1, what? 9. And so I confess. What does confess mean? It's homo logeo. It means to say the same thing. Yes, Father, you are right. I was wrong. Not, yeah, I was wrong, but you know what? You see, I was wrong, but you don't know what Debbie did. No, I was wrong. I was wrong. And then, Father, cleanse me by your Spirit. He's forgiven us, but cleanse me of the activity and of the presence of this filth and empower me by your Spirit so that this issue is overcome the next time. Amen? Let's leave with verses 40 and 45 in the frontal, the front of our minds, and leave here today beginning to live, not, uh-oh, I'm going to have to be very careful everything I do. No. Let's live lives as we normally do, dependent upon the presence and power of the Holy Spirit to be leading us and then ministering to us and to be judging our sin as we commit it. So as we commit it, what do we do? We deal with it. So when a weed pops up in the garden, what do you do? You pull it out. You don't get your hoe and start digging up the garden looking for lead, uh, weeds. You allow the weed to come up, and the Lord will bring out the weed that he wants to bring out at that point in that activity to pull it out and to be dealing with it and to plant in its place something of grace. Correct? There's no condemnation. Who said that? Romans 8.1, for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. But this is the way we are to live. And when we are judged every day, that judgment doesn't go into the judgment. But for all those areas that are not judged here on earth, will go into the judgment. And the judgment that day will be based on how we lived. Right? On how we lived. Next week, we're going to talk about Ephesians 2.8. For by gr grace have you or you have been what? Saved by faith. Now, the question is, is he talking about good works? Or is he talking about work at all? So we'll go into that next week and look at that particular verse, and we'll look at some other verses from Romans and some other verses here and there and see, hopefully for greater clarification. Because we can say this. It is wrong to say that we're saved by faith without works. But you have to have the definitions, correct? And typically, Christians don't use definitions. For our salvation is what? Unconditional. That's wrong. It is a conditional salvation. We have to understand the terminology. So we have to be careful how we throw these things around lest we be missing God's, the content of God's Word in accuracy. So I know you're glad to come back next week. Bye-bye. Yeah.